very special welcome to our listeners for the first episode of what will hopefully be hundreds, fingers crossed. We are Healing Never Hurts So Good, and our goal is to help destigmatize mental health by having normal conversations about the mental health issues affecting us. So first off, my name is Adrian. I am currently dealing with depression and anxiety. I am also working on my anger management, and I am in therapy. And my name is Stacy. I'm a mother of two and recently caretaker to another, and uh, just trying to work my way through all of the, the fun issues that, that come along with that whilst retaining maybe a semblance of sanity, but probably not too much. Nice to meet you, Stacy. <laughs> you too. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stacy, seeing that we just met, no, we did not just meet. <laughs> Our listeners should know, I have known Stacy now. How long have I known you? I don't know, four or five years, maybe? Four or five years. I and still remember should... the first time we met and I walked into the house and you were just sat there and my yeah. husband had not told me you were there. And so I yeah. gave you a filthy look because I'm very cold when you first meet me. <laughs> this, this is a true story, guys. So she walks into the room. First time ever meeting me. I stand up being the gentleman I am to shake her hand. She looks right. She looks at me, <laughs> look, then looks right past me at her husband and goes, who is this? As I'm standing there. <laughs> so that was my introduction to Stacy. And she, she says, who is this in a British accent? So I go, oh, great. And she's British. Well, and I suppose at least I me, didn't say who the bloody hell is this. That's true. You've lived in America too long. True. So, <laughs> all right. So, so Stacy, now that you know who I am, I would like to ask you, what do you think of as mental health? So mental health, I mean, it's definitely something that's being talked about a lot more in, in the last sort of year or so. I think there's been a lot of conversations, particularly back in the UK as well, with um, the royal family sort of leading the way with the, the princes talking about their issues. I mean, it's really just the sort of yin to the yang of physical health, right? You have your physical health and you have your mental health. Um, it's just people typically don't really talk about mental health and mental well-being, but it's something that has to affect each and every one of us. It's just some people don't talk about it. Some people cover up their mental issues better than others. Should they be covering it up? I don't know. Um, you know, certainly growing up in the UK, you're encouraged to have a stiff upper lip and we don't talk about emotions. Um, but I'm glad to see that that's starting to change and we're having a lot more conversations around it. Okay. That, that's pretty good. And that's, well, I think you've covered it. So we can end the podcast here. And <laughs> thank, thank our listeners. So no, that was really good. Uh, you definitely surprised me with your knowledge. So yeah, I, now I feel silly reading my definition because you've explained it, but I will still read my definition. It's okay to feel silly. It is okay to feel silly as I do every day. So per <laughs> medical news today, which is an online journal, medical journal, mental health refers to cognitive, behavioral, and emotional well-being. It's about how people think, feel, and behave. 
uh, and mental health can affect daily living, relationships, and physical health. However, this link also works in the other direction, where factors in people's lives, interpersonal connections, and physical factors can all contribute to mental health disruptions. So that is per Medical News Today. Now, you mentioned something that stood out to me and very important. We don't talk about mental health. And I've, as I have started my journey, I asked myself, why don't we talk about, let's say, therapy the way we do about going to the dentist or any other doctor? If I said to you, hey, Stacy, oh, I got to go to the dentist tomorrow, you'd probably say, oh, I hate the dentist. And we talk about the horror stories, the fillings. Oh, and it's just part of a routine. We all know every six months you go for a cleaning, you get the x-rays, et cetera. We know that. We talk about it very openly. Why don't we talk about therapy the same way? I don't know. I was actually trying to think about that today a little bit. It, I think people are associated typically of being weak. Um, you know, if you break your leg, it's no big deal. And in some cases, it's probably somewhat, of, you know, a badge of honor. Like, look, I did something so yeah, tough that I smashed I'm my tough. leg, up, oh, you know. Yeah. Um, and people enjoy when you have a cast and you can write on it and all of that good stuff. Um, but when something goes wrong in the brain, it's it's been seen as a sign of weakness. Um, and again, maybe that goes back to the whole, you know, you don't talk about these things. Um, I think, you know, society is becoming a lot more open. And actually, it just made me think of something that my dad told me about his grandmother. So my great grandmother um, of she went to borrow, I don't know, maybe like some butter or sugar or something from the neighbor. And she hid it on the way home because she didn't want people to see what she was doing. So it was just back then it was, everything was just so much more secretive and covered up. I mean, I don't even know what the shame would be of like having to borrow some sugar, but obviously society was more focused on, you know, just keeping your business to yourself and sharing as little as possible, closing your curtains and, you know, what happens in the house stays in the house, where now things are becoming a lot more open, especially with social media, um, you know, television, everything is so much more sort of global and, and readily available. Um, but yeah, I think it's just that sort of history of, of keeping everything to yourself and, and not oversharing. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of the older generation would say that we now share too much. And why why do we need to share all of these things? Um, but I think you know, it helps to have these open conversations and to know that you're not alone. Um, because I think a lot of people do feel alone. You know, I had my own struggles a few years ago with infertility and miscarriages, and it can be a very lonely experience because that's something that people don't generally talk about. And so to know that there's others out there to kind of break that stigma is very helpful for others who are, are suffering with those things. The hiding of the butter, was it like being afraid to be, well, poverty shamed? I honestly don't know. I, I didn't dig into it with my dad at the time because I just was laughing and thought that it was so funny. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was, he was telling me something. I can't even remember what it was that, that my grandparents would be so ashamed of something that I'd done. Or maybe it was that I was wearing my pajamas in the morning to put my kid on the bus. I can't remember, but it was just, oh, your grandparents, you know, this is how it used to be. But 
yeah, and I can imagine it could be the shame of, you know, you didn't have what you needed or you had to borrow from somebody, but I don't know. Very different generation and times back then. Well, anyone who knows me, I always tell them I grew up poor and I'm not ashamed to admit it. So <laughs> poor kid over here. Uh, and your infertility struggles, you told me a little bit about that in the past. And obviously, as a man, I could never even begin to understand even 0.001% of what that must have felt like. Uh, and Well, men can be infertile too. That is true, but the miscarriage part, yes. that, that part will never, you know, we will never feel that pain. And I won't even try to pretend that it's something that I could even begin to understand. So maybe in a later episode, we can talk more about that and talk more about what support you got and what sort of resources are out there for people going through that particular experience. For sure, yeah. I think we could dedicate a whole podcast to that. Yeah, no, that would be really good. And from my side, I always wondered about therapy, but I never, I never had the courage to start it. As far back as I can remember, I had anger issues and. They stem from my childhood. And this is something that my close friends know, and I've spoken to them about, and my partners have told them about. But at no point did I ever think, hey, you should see a therapist, or you should go to counseling and, and work on this, because it's not healthy. When I think of healthy or health, it was always just physical. Well. I feel fine physically, so that's okay. And I neglected the mental side. So even though over the years, I would have these anger outbursts on a daily basis, alienate people, friends, girlfriends, uh, coworkers, I never looked at that as something that could be fixed or worked on as let's say my back injury from deadlifting let's say deadlifting 600 pounds that's what i'm that's what i'm sticking with <laughs> deadlifting 600 okay. pounds so so clearly i did but i i had that injury i got that injury and i went to a physical therapist i got it taken care of and i was given homework to do every day which I never did, but at least I was given the homework and there was a treatment plan. And at no point in time did I think, well, wait a minute, I could do the same thing for my anger issues, for my you know, insecurities, for, for just things that were affecting me on a, on, a, on, a, on a mental level, on an emotional level. And I never thought about it. And no one spoke to me about these things. And I think by speaking up more and having the courage to say, I am in therapy, more people will come forward and more people can benefit. And here's an example. Someone close to me, and for confidentiality, I'll avoid naming names, but someone close to me, I reached out, I told them I was in therapy, and they asked me if it would be okay for them to tell their partner who knows me, that 
I'm in therapy. And I had a moment of hesitation, a pause, and I thought to myself, well, wait a minute, I trust you because you're very, very close to me, but your partner and I, we are not close. We're barely acquaintances. Am I comfortable with your partner knowing? And it was in that moment of sort of introspection that I asked myself, well, if I can help him get into therapy, then okay, maybe maybe that's enough. And so I, I, I said to them, yes, t- tell your partner. So once I got that out of the way, I started thinking more about it. Well, why am I hiding this? Why am I ashamed of this? And like you pointed out, I looked at it as being weak because that's what I was told growing up. If in, in my country, if someone was mentally ill or just different, we called them mad and crazy, right? And th- those were the words that you, you, you even referred to, we, we would refer to homeless people as crazy people. And not your country anything. is Guyana for the my country who aren't is familiar. Guyana for the yes for the people who are not familiar because I assume only two people will listen to this and they know <laughs> me so they know I'm from Guyana they know I'm from the rainforest so wait you're from the rainforest oh, I didn't tell you yeah I'm from the rainforest the Amazon yeah I'll you know what next An- episode another podcast another podcast <laughs> you will hear all about the rainforest and me growing up in it so. In Guyana, growing up, you called homeless people crazy. That's what they were called. And looking back, I just feel horrible. But that's how we grew up. Just calling these homeless people crazy. So it was always this negative association or connotation. And because of that, it was just so hidden. I never felt comfortable approaching someone and saying, hey, I cannot continue like this because I am hurting too many people. I am ruining relationships. I am ruining friendships. I am tearing apart relationships that took a long time to build up just because I don't have a handle on my anger. And it all came to a head when A few months back, once again, my anger issues, my insecurities chased someone away. And it was the straw that broke the camel's back because I, and I'm not ashamed to say this, I broke down because it was just one time too many. And it was that breakdown, that mental health disruption that led to therapy, but unfortunately at the same time, that breakdown led to depression and anxiety. And so now those are things I'm working on while also trying to learn the coping mechanisms for my anger. It was interesting, um, you know, and I wanted to let you keep talking, but something you said right at the very beginning was that you didn't have the courage to go to therapy. And when you think about that, if you broke your leg, can you imagine someone saying, I didn't have the courage to go see the doctor to get my leg fixed? That'd be ludicrous, yeah. But it's basically the same thing. 
Um, so again, it's just sort of breaking down these stigmas around, you know, if your body needs help, medication, whatever it may be, you need to provide that for it in whatever form it may be. Um, and something else I was just sort of thinking about, I was watching a documentary today called My Beautiful Broken Brain, which is about um, a 30-something-year-old girl who had a stroke. Um, and she was trying to come to terms with her new reality and the deficits that she had. And she talked about comfortable illusions that we live in and then leaving those comfortable illusions and going into uncomfortable realities. And I think that's sort of the the flip or the change that you make. You know, you live in this world. Let's take you, for example, you know, with your anger issues and everything that was going on. It was sort of a comfortable illusion of everything's fine, you know, it's okay to the breakdown. And now you're in this highly uncomfortable reality of these are all the issues that you're having to now deal with. Um, and it's, it's hard and it's, you know, it's, it's icky and it's uncomfortable and it's just nothing about it is, is comfortable, which is probably why so many of us keep ourselves in this comfortable illusion of everything's fine. Um, which is sort of what I had said to you yesterday when you said, you know, we can talk about where we are. And my immediate thought was, I'm fine. You know, I'm okay. I've had my issues before and I'm okay. And then as I started to think about it this morning and sort of break down, okay, where am I mentally? What's going on? And as I sort of kind of peeled back a couple of layers, I was like, oh, okay, there's a lot going on in my life. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm handling it on the surface. Everything's Okay. But if I start to sort of like really get into it, then, you know, it can get a little uncomfortable and to a place that, you know, maybe you don't want to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because when, when you told me yesterday, oh, I'm fine. I thought to myself, <laughs> wait a minute, I've been to your house. I practically <laughs> live at your house. You've been babysitting me these past couple of months. I know you're not, you know, fine. Yeah, but, but these are the I, stories we tell ourselves to make it through the day. Yeah, no, I I, I see that. Uh, and you you said something very poignant. That is a good word. I don't know how to spell it, but <laughs> I think that's the first time I've used it in a long while. You said if if someone broke their leg, we would never question them going to fix it. Let's talk about Simone Biles. If Simone Biles had injured her ankle, there would be no conversation about her pulling out of events. None. We would say, or she broke her leg, let's say. We would just accept that. Okay, she tried, she broke her leg. That's unfortunate. That's terrible. And we would all rally around her and support her. But because it's a mental health issue, suddenly there's this division. And that, to me, speaks volumes about where we are as a society and how far we need to go. And I know you did gymnastics when you were younger, and your child also does gymnastics. So yes. you know more about that than me. And also, you're a woman. Are you? I am. You yes. are? Okay. Yeah, I think you are. So yeah, no, I yeah. did gymnastics for, gosh, from the age of four until 17. And I was in the gym every day. 
Um, so, you know, it was, it was pretty shocking for Simone to pull out the way she did. Um, but I think she did it right at the point before she got that injury that everybody would have been okay with. Um, and, you know, I think every gymnast has been in a place where, you know, you'll do something and you'll suddenly get lost in the middle of it. I used to do a double twist, which is nowhere near as impressive or as scary or as dangerous as what she's doing. Mm -hmm. But there were occasional times when you would be sort of twisting through the air and then you would, I don't know, out of nowhere, you would suddenly just get in your head and it would just throw you off. Um, And obviously with the things that she's doing, it's not safe. So she had the courage before she injured herself to say, I need to stop now before I injure myself because, you know, the consequences of her twisting three, four, five times through the air and and not making it to her feet could be, you know, I mean, awful. Um, So, you know, she, she talked about having the twisties, which is this sort of mental block or this lack of awareness in the air. Um, But I was also watching an interview that she gave before the Olympics um, and she was talking about, you know, she thought about during COVID when the Olympics were supposed to happen, just finishing then and not coming to Tokyo. And one of the things she said was she's one of, I don't know if she's the only one or she's one of few gymnasts still in the sport who were a part of the abuse by Larry Nassar and um, the sort of down, not downfall, the, um, what's what I'm looking for, the lack of leadership and, and sort of protection that USA Gymnastics should have afforded to the gymnasts. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, she has a big social media following and she wants to stay in it to hold them accountable, to make sure that there's um, investigations to see what happened, what didn't happen, what more could have been done. So, I mean, even if you just think about that one element that she's a sexual abuse survivor from this sport um, and she's still coming back and doing it, even just that would be enough to just, you know, knock most people out. So the mental fortitude that she has to have just, you know, to have that and then to have the weight on her shoulders of she's expected to win six medals um, at this Olympics. I mean, it's just immense. I don't think, you know, most of us could even come close to comprehending how she must feel. And most men will never comprehend that. Uh, I know that there are males who are victims of sexual abuse, of course, but the numbers skew far more uh, towards females. And yeah, being a a sexual abuse survivor, I could never imagine. And you're right. That alone in itself to still compete and to still do what she's doing, it's incredible. But yeah, I mean, within the sport that basically let her down and allowed this to happen, yeah, it's yeah, it's really sort of beyond belief. Um, it also got me thinking. I guess we should also just note, you know, like she's announced that she's going to do Beam tomorrow. So by the time this podcast airs, she either will have done it or won't have done it. But we don't know what the results will be. Um, I'm hoping tune into episode two. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but you know, I wish her all the luck. Um, and you know, whether she, whether she gets a medal or not, she has nothing to prove really to anyone, um, probably other than really herself. Um, so, you know, hoping that, that she does the best that she can do, but sort of on the subject of the twisties, I was thinking about this, um, on Friday of 
of people getting the twisties in everyday life. So I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes I get these moments and I had one on Friday, which is when I thought, huh, that's like a real life twisty. Um, where you just, it's almost like you're sort of jolted. Like I think about it, if you were in the matrix and someone sort of like shook your pod, you know, and it just sort of jolts you where you sort of don't know where you are or you were like, wait, what day is it? What, like, I was yeah. driving, I was driving back from the Poconos mountains yesterday and there was green everywhere. And yeah. I remember thinking to myself, wait, why is it all green? Is it winter or summer? <laughs> and I just like, just, you just have yeah. these moments where you sort of get lost in your yeah. own like reality. So, you know, the twisties is not just for gymnastics. I think it probably happens to all of us to some extent. Oh, definitely. I have experienced it at work. I have had moments where I have doubted myself as to whether or not I could close a deal. I have doubted myself as to whether or not I could lead others. And it took a lot of just determination to just overcome those twisties. But I am someone who it's okay tomorrow if I don't show up to work. No one gets injured. Nothing happens. I I'm not flipping through the air with the possibility of landing on my neck, but you are right. We experience it in everyday life, but I'm sure the majority of us just dismiss it and we don't do anything to address the underlying issues. And so for me, I work in a, an industry that's very fast paced, it's very dynamic, and that comes with a lot of yelling sometimes. So my anger just kept getting fed by the environment I was in. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. And so now that I'm working on myself, I am almost at this crossroad of, well, do I continue? In the industry, and if my boss is listening to this, please don't fire me. But <laughs> do I continue in this industry, in all seriousness, do I continue in this industry knowing that it can exacerbate this problem I have? Or do I take a step back and work on myself and go somewhere else? So that's where I am right now. And we will find out where I will be. But I, mean, I am. It's, it's an interesting question. I have um, a friend of mine. She was in, or she still is actually in advertising, which is a very social industry. There's a lot of going out and schmoozing and drinking and parties and all this sort of stuff. Um, and she ended up in a uh, in like a rehab facility in a in a clinic. And when she came out, she had the same issue of Do I stay in the industry knowing that? there's so much alcohol and drugs within it or, mm -hmm. and you know, she found a really good support group. She started going to meetings and she's, she's actually thrived and she's doing so much better than she ever was before because she's in a healthy place. So, I mean, obviously you'll, you'll figure out your journey for yourself. Um, but I think it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It can be, you know, how do I find coping mechanisms and how do I, avoid those situations while still being able to thrive within this environment. And, you know, obviously you'll figure out if you can or you can't, but for her, it's been, you know, to get clean, to get to a really good headspace. She goes to meetings on a weekly basis and has a really strong, solid support group. And she's, she's really thrived. Like she's, 
she's so much better than than she ever was before. So, you know, if nothing else, I hope it gives you and, and others in that situation hope that, you know, better things can be on the other side when you put the work in. It does. And I'm very glad you shared that because I I was looking at it almost as all or nothing. And it's funny because you messaged me earlier and asked if I had thought of going or finding a support group. And I had not. Uh, so I've started doing some research and hopefully I can find such a group that will do for me what the groups, what the support groups did for your friend. And I will keep our listeners posted or listener. It might be, <laughs> might be single. Let's not kid ourselves here. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll keep our listeners posted. And for anyone out there listening, reach out. That's number one, reach out. When I started going through my breakdown, and it still, it still hurts to say that. It still hurts to admit that because I say to myself, well, what if a friend listening who did not know, well, what will they think of me? But that is an insecurity that I need to overcome because I am not ashamed to admit that, yes, I, I had a breakdown. So when I started going through it, I kept it to myself and hid it for as long as I could. And it just made the situation so much worse. And finally, I reached out to you. I reached out my housemate. He was babysitting me pretty much. Uh, and I reached out to very close friends. And at one point, <laughs> two of my really close friends, they started sending me food <laughs> because they knew I wasn't eating. So it Which, really... if anybody knows you, then you know it's really serious if you're not eating. All right. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, it's very serious if I'm not eating cookies <laughs> or, or baked goods. And even those, yes, I was not eating. So they sent me food. And it was very uplifting to know that even in my darkest moment, I had this group of people who cared a lot about me and they made it their mission like clockwork to keep checking in on me. And I have these two friends who were all former coworkers and I didn't realize that they coordinated with each other <laughs> on a schedule. One would check in on me and then an hour later, the other one would, one would come over, we would go out for a drink, which by the way, I found this out a couple of weeks into my therapy, alcohol is a depressant. Yes. <laughs> I was unaware of that. So, listeners out there, please know, alcohol is a depressant. But back to the support, all of these people reached out and supported me. And I don't think I have ever thanked you properly for that. So, I will say here, in front of all 5 million <laughs> listeners, <laughs> thank you. No, I'm serious. Thank you. Because... Uh, you saw me. We won't get into all the details, but you saw me. And in those moments, I didn't think I'd be able to talk openly about it. I am still not okay. And I know that it will take a long time to be okay. But, and I'm stealing your line, it's okay to not be okay. Just don't give up. And it's very important for our listeners to believe that. Because once you know that it's okay that you're not okay. You're more comfortable to reach out. So thank you for 
helping me through and continuing to help me through because I do still have low points during the day and I do reach out to you and I do reach out to others. It is an ongoing process, healing. And as our name says, healing never hurts so good because I know there's light at the end of the tunnel. That's too cliche, but it feels good while hurting at the same time to know that I am making myself a better person, a better human being for my future spouse, for my future children, if I have children, and for my friends, family, and coworkers. And that makes me feel good, and that makes me stick to therapy, put in the hard work, and keep moving. Which is what it's all about. You know, something you were just saying, actually, I wanted uh, like a tip that somebody, I don't know whether I read it or heard it somewhere, but something that you can do when you say something, you know, like, oh, I had a breakdown today is on the end of everything, just add, and that's okay. Like, oh, ah. I feel terrible today, and that's yeah. okay. Like, give yourself permission to not be okay and not like, I think a lot of the pressure just comes internally from like, oh, it's not okay to be this way. And I have to fix this because again, society has these pressures of mental health is, you know, like weakness, but it's okay. You know, like if you, I, I always go back to referring it to breaking a leg because it's just a very easy analogy. Did you um, break a leg, by the way? Is this what this is about? No, I had broken <laughs> an ankle before, but I just like, it's just, it to me, it it's feels like something easy that people can understand. Um, you know, I have somebody who is suffering right now and can't bring themselves to get the help. Um, and in talking to their partner, I was trying to sort of explain to them that maybe they need sort of a help or a bit of a push. And I, my sort of example was, you know, it's like asking somebody with a broken leg to walk to the doctor. Well, they can't because their leg's broken. So they probably need to get a ride. You know, sometimes you need that, that ride or that sort of help to get where it is that you need to go. That and is that's a very okay. good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. That's a good analogy. Yeah. But I, I always refer to that because it just, it, it just seems so easy. You know, if you always think about your broken brain, for want of a better way to put it, if you're just thinking in crude terms, refer it like, what would I do if I had a broken leg? I would see a doctor, I would do PT, people would help me, it would be okay. And it's, it's the same. And I wouldn't expect it to be fixed overnight. You know, it has to heal. It has to get better. These things take time. It's to me, it's sort of the, it's not the same thing, but it's an easy way to think of it that people can wrap their head around because mental health is a lot harder for people to understand because you can't see it. So you're just relying on the person who has these issues to tell you what they're feeling in their brain. It's nothing tangible that you can touch or feel. You can't see an x-ray. Um, so that's just sort of how I like to think about it. No, and I think most of our listeners would agree that, yeah, that's a that's a good, uh, is it a metaphor or analogy or comparison? I don't know. I didn't do well in English. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. We'll go it, with it's it, an it, example. <laughs> it's an example. Oh, there, that's the word example. I can say that in German, Beispiel. There you go. Zum Beispiel. Zum Beispiel. Yeah, yeah. ich auch. Okay. Oh, well done. Yeah, I did GCSE German. Okay, so for our listeners in Germany. <laughs> Guten Tag. <laughs> Guten Tag. Guten Abend. 
So, all right. Well, I think I think we should leave it here today. Uh, thank you for joining us. And Stacy, any closing thoughts? Any you know ruminations? Is that a word? I made it up. I mean, I think it is a word. Um, I mean, I, I I've always liked the quote that came from Churchill, which is, "If you're going through hell, keep going." Ah, very British. It Don't is. go brainwashing our good American listeners into thinking Britain is good. No. <laughs> well, if you'd let me finish, I was going to say Churchill was always a hero of mine growing up. And actually, I was listening to the news today and they were talking about in British education, they never teach you about the bad side of you know the imperial empire and the colonization and all the terrible things that we did. So Churchill was a big hero of mine, but now I'm sort of like, ah, okay, I don't know that I, like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's kind of like an icky one for me now, but nonetheless, the quote still stands. If you're going through hell, just keep going, you know, just one day at going. a time. And if it has to be one minute at a time, then make it one minute at a time. All right. Well, to all of our listeners, just keep going. And as Dory, is it Dory the fish? From, yes. Just yeah. keep swimming. Just keep swimming. And I swear to you, sometimes during the day, I tell myself, just keep swimming. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. All right, listeners. We hope you enjoyed this first episode. And again, thank you for joining. Thank you for listening. We will be back in a week or two. We're not too sure. We will figure out the format and the schedule, etc. as we continue. Hang in there, folks. So if you or someone you know is in crisis or struggling, please seek help immediately. And the following are some options for immediate support. Call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. And that's a 24-hour crisis center available through the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You can also text MHA to 741741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor from Crisis Text Line. Or, in worst case scenario, call 911 or go to the nearest emergency room. Thank you for joining and see you next time. Bye.